You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. And I uh, just want to say once again a thank you to my dear brother Andrew and uh, the Advent for the warm invitation to come and deliver uh, this set of sermons. It is great to be here. I always think of the Advent as a spiritual home here in the south up there in Manhattan, and we are grateful for your ministry. You are a tremendous encouragement to uh, gospel work, and, um, and uh, we look down here often quite fondly with everything going on. And so just thankful for you guys, and great to be here again. I'm going to be, over the next three days, uh, preaching through the book of Exodus, uh, Israel's Lenten journey that went longer than 40 days, but went 40 years, and we're going to be looking at three significant events uh, over the next three days um, of their uh, sojourn in the wilderness. And so, if you will, let me read to you from Exodus chapter 14, beginning at the 15th verse. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all the hosts, his chariots and his horsemen, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the water being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen, And in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled into it, and the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the water being a wall to them on their right and their left. Thus, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. 
And Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so that the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Here ends the lesson. Well, our reading from the book of Exodus is significant, if not the most significant moment in the Old Testament. God parting and Israel crossing the Red Sea. And two obstacles stand between Israel and their freedom. Pharaoh's large army behind them and a big body of water called the Red Sea in front of them. The people of Israel in this moment, in Exodus chapter 14, are stuck between the proverbial rock and hard place. But God has a plan, a way, a means by which he will save his people. God always has a plan. Now, if you began right where our reading begins, you'd believe that at this moment Israel is cool as a cucumber, you know, with Charlton Heston and everyone. They're right there, and the pillar of cloud simply moves between Israel and the armies, and everyone is fine, you know? But nothing could be further from the truth. Israel is a nation. It's coming out of slavery. And therefore, Israel as a people has suffered a real trauma. Trauma, it manifests itself in all sorts of ways. I think in some ways we see uh, the trauma of 450 years of unresolved slavery play out in this nation. And the contours, though, of this trauma look very similar to that of the book of Exodus. In the oppressor, it often manifests itself in forms of self-justification and a stubborn fight to preserve the oppressive order. Hence, Pharaoh marches out to bring Israel, the backbone of their cheap labor, right on back. However, the trauma in the oppressed manifests itself in various ways as well. If you read the earlier chapters of the book of Exodus, you have Jews fighting Jews in Egypt. And then most profoundly, there they are on the banks of the Red Sea, and a desire to return back to that unhealthy experience of slavery in Egypt. You know, why have you brought us out here to die? You'll see that theme reverberate through the book of Exodus. Therapists, and it's in all of us who've suffered some sort of trauma, refer to this desire that Israel has to return back to Egypt, this painful return back to a painful and destructive behavior, as repetition compulsion. Repetition compulsion. The way emotional trauma plays out for Israel And indeed, many of us caught in this cycle is the idea of being loved and free. Let me say that again. Loved and free is so fleeting and foreign that actually a person begins to see it as their role to be the victim. Think about your own life just for a second. We all have untreated trauma that manifests itself in our lives in different forms of slavery. The Bible calls it sinfulness, sometimes in a reoccurring terrible relationship. Sometimes it manifests itself in eating disorders or substance abuse, low self-esteem, anger issues, workaholism. My therapist oftentimes says to me, Jacob, what happened to you at seven can take till you're about 67 to work itself out if you're lucky. And this is exactly what's happening here in this moment, caught between the rock 
and the hard place. This trauma in Israel is starting to surface, and Israel wants to return to slavery. If you go back to verse 10, we're told that the people feared greatly when they saw Israel, uh, Egypt come up behind them. And they scream at Moses. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away into the wilderness? They go on and say, leave us alone that we may go back to Egypt. It is better to be a slave in Egypt than die in the wilderness. It's busy to consume myself in work than to deal with my family at home. It's busy to, uh, to, to, to drink a little more and just because I deserve it. And even God, knowing Moses' heart, where I started today in verse 15, he says, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. And then he instructs Moses to stretch his hands out over the sea. And this pillar of cloud, which is God-mediated, it moves in between the armies of Egypt and Israel because God is going to continue to fight for Israel. God will continue to fight for and save this traumatized people. God saves traumatized people. And this is my first point. The people of Israel have suffered a huge trauma. Maybe you've suffered a huge trauma in your life. And salvation, real freedom, from your perspective, it only looks more like death. You know, there with the Red Sea in front of you. Remember Jesus, what he says? Whoever gains his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. Salvation often looks like our death. The natural cry of the sinner is slavery is better than freedom. Because freedom is incomprehensible to the slave. It often can appear in this age freedom as a Red Sea. It appears in this age to us as a cross. More death. We can't see freedom on our own. And so hence you and I, we need to hear it. We need to hear it proclaimed. This is why this ministry right now is so important. God often hides himself in this age, in things that can appear difficult, in things that appear to be the crosses of life. This is why actually God moves behind Israel, between Egypt, not simply for protection, but to obscure Israel's traumatized vision of the past. So at this moment, looking backwards to the sinful, oppressive past, no matter how dreamy, God's in the way. It's not an option. And as Moses stretches his arms forth over the sea, the Lord sends a strong east wind, and the Red Sea miraculously parts. And in the midst of being afraid, all Israel has in this moment is faith. Faith alone. I mean, could you imagine being the first person that had to step out into that Red Sea? You go first, Andrew. You know? This is my second point. 
Faith, you see a definition of it here. Faith doesn't magically make your fears and trauma disappear. If we're honest, fear is always with us in some form or fashion. To quote the Old Testament theologian Gerald Jansen, faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is fear that takes itself to God and there finds the freedom and the voice, both to call for God to act and to give reassurance to others whose own fear leads them only backwards. I love that insight. And you see, you see this as Israel crosses the Red Sea. You see this Christian as led by God, you cross the Red Seas of your life. Your faith doesn't magically solve the fears and the anxieties. Rather, faith works through your fears and drives you forward in the direction where you are called to trust in God alone. A lot of people, they want to downplay this miracle, the parting of the Red Sea, about how Israel might have crossed in some shallow place, you know, the Sea of Reeds. Nonsense. And that's to miss the point completely. The Hebrew word here is yam, which is a big body of water. It's a sea, the Red Sea. And the point is, is that how God actually works for our salvation. Now, this is very important in order to understand how the story actually applies to you, the Israel of God, how the story applies to you as a Christian. You see, one of the central themes of the Pentateuch the first five books of the Bible, and the entire Bible for that matter, is that God is both the creator and the redeemer. The God of Israel, he's a very earthy God. Not an otherworldly God, but an earthy God. So he redeems not through magic, but he redeems hidden through his creation. So if you read the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, this is how you're supposed to interpret Exodus 14. The dry land is brought forth from the water, and humankind is placed upon the land. And in the book of Exodus, with the plagues, there is an undoing of the creation. But now, but now God, who powerfully creates but more wonderfully redeems traumatized slaves once again divides the water and brings forth the land in order that Israel might leave the old and through the water come into the new land as God's people. I'm friends with the rabbi across the park from where I live in Manhattan, and he once told me that this is the moment most rabbis across Judaica, whether you're Reformed, conservative, uh, ultra-Orthodox, whatever, Everybody agrees that this moment is the moment that Israel became a nation, became a people. The New Testament and the church, as the Israel of God, takes this scene in Exodus chapter 14 very seriously. For we believe that this scene is a type and a shadow that finds its fulfillment in our baptisms, when we go through the water and are buried with Christ and raised with him in a resurrection like his. In 1 Corinthians 10, 
St. Paul reminds the church that while in this scene Israel was baptized into Moses, that baptism ultimately didn't get them or any of us into the promised land. Rather, what we need is a new Joshua, a greater Joshua, Jesus Christ the righteous. The baptism of Moses, the law-keeping, can't heal the deep traumas caused by human sin inside us all. We see this played out in our lives. We see this played out in our country as both parties flip-flop between who are the law and order presidents and who are the law and order parties. It can't save us because we keep bucking against it. Moses cannot save you. The law cannot save you. The baptism of Moses is only a type and a shadow that finds its fulfillment in Christ and his work for you, his death and his resurrection. So how does this all work? We are told Pharaoh and his armies pursue the Israelites into the Red Sea. Egypt in this moment represents everything anti-God and evil is ultimately destroyed in pursuit of the destruction of God. Therefore, sometimes things appear to get much worse before they get better. I have a friend, and he used to always say to me when I tell him about my problems, he'd go, wow, sounds like it's got to get a lot worse. (laughs) Because God isn't interested in better. What he's interested in is his brand new. And therefore, the good news, as it applies to you, in the here and the now is that even in your life when things seem bad when it appears that the pharaohs of your life are in hot pursuit never forget that is not a sign of God's absence but in actuality his very presence and we know this because ultimately in the cross of Jesus When all the forces of wickedness, when all that rebelled against God, pursued God and Christ to the cross, it's through his death and his burial that they were defeated and confirmed in his resurrection. But it is in his death and burial that they were defeated once and for all. And Christ's resurrection from the dead is the seal of that victory. Words here in Exodus, they mean things. And they're significant. And in Exodus 14, especially, as the dead Egyptians in their chariots, all that is evil in Israel's life wash up on the banks on the other side of the Red Sea. It says, the Lord saved Israel. This is the first time the word saved is used in this manner in the Bible. Hosea, associated with the noun Yeshua, Yahweh saves, or in English, Jesus. This is my third point, and I'll close with this. Only Christ can save you. Only Christ can save you. And the promise of the gospel is that Christ attaches his healing wounds. 
his healing wounds to the wounds and traumas of our lives and says, while it may not go away in this age, you have been saved by grace. You have been saved by grace and you have been washed in my blood. And my promise to you is as I have destroyed all the evil you have inherited. And like Israel looking back because of those waters, those waters where we were buried with Christ and raised in a resurrection like his, we see our traumatic past for what it is hidden, yet healed, hidden, and by faith, redeemed in the light of his glory and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.